Lombard had come out to East Africa as secretary to a government commission, a commission which he very soon manipulated as he pleased. I met him there when I was sent up on a prospecting job. He was very young then, not more than twenty-five, and he was in his first years at the bar. He had been at one of the lesser public schools and at Cambridge, had been a good scholar, and was as full as he could hold of books. I remember our first meeting in a cold camp on the Uasin Gisu Plateau, when he quoted and translated a Greek line about the bitter little wind before dawn. But he never paraded his learning, for his desire was to be in complete harmony with his surroundings, and to look very much the pioneer. Those were the old days in East Africa, before the happy valley and the remittance man, and settlers who wanted self-government, and people's hopes were high. He was full of the heroes of the past, like Roddy Owen and Vandeleur and the Portals, and, except that he was a poor horseman, he had something in common with them. With his light figure and bleached fair hair and brown skin, he looked the very model of the adventurous Englishman. I thought that there might be a touch of the Jew in his ancestry, something high-coloured and foreign at any rate, for he was more expansive and quickly fired than the rest of us. But on the whole, he was as English as a Hampshire water meadow. The compartment was blue with pipe smoke. My companions were talking about rock gardens. The man in the corner opposite me was apparently an authority on the subject, and he had much to say about different firms of nursery gardeners. He was blonde, plump, and baldish, and had a pleasant voice, whose tones woke a recollection which I could not fix. I thought that I had probably seen him at some company meeting. My mind went back to Lombard. I remembered how we had sat on a rock one evening, looking over the trough of Equatoria, and, as the sun crimsoned the distant olive-green forests, he had told me his ambitions— in those days the afterglow of Cecil Rhodes's spell still lay on Africa, and men could dream dreams. Lombards were majestic. I have got my inspiration, he told me. His old hankerings after legal or literary or political success at home had gone. He had found a new and masterful purpose. It was a very young man's talk, I was about his own age, but I had knocked about a bit and saw its crudity. Yet it most deeply impressed me. There were fire and poetry in it, and there was also a pleasant shrewdness. He had had his call and was hastening to answer it. Henceforth his life was to be dedicated to one end, the building up of a British Equatoria, with the highlands of the east and south as the white man's base. It was to be both white man's and black man's country, a new kingdom of Prester John. It was to link up South Africa with Egypt and the Sudan, and thereby complete Rhodes's plan. It was to be a magnet to attract our youth and a settlement ground for our surplus population. It was to carry with it a spiritual renaissance for England. When I think, he cried, of the stuffy life at home, we must bring air into it, and instead of a blind alley, give him open country. 